Last announcement. I just returned last week from the PCA's General Assembly. It was a fantastic week in the life of our our denomination. There were two relatively big decisions that we made. The first was that we publicly repented as a denomination for our lack of care toward those who are different than we are in whatever way that means. But specifically, it meant racial reconciliation for the PCA. It was long overdue for us to make a public statement about it, and that happened at GA. It was a wonderful time for the denomination as a whole to begin to heal, to be able to welcome our brothers and sisters to the table who have for a long time felt marginalized, and it was a fantastic, fantastic moment. There were tears shed by many men in that room. It was beautiful. I wish you could have been there. Secondly, the PCA decided they would form a study committee on the role of women, and that will come out later this year. And my suspicion, although I don't know, is that the PCA will simply reaffirm their current position on the role of women, make it clear and concise. But both those things, if you'd like to hear more about or know more about, please ask me or one of the members of our session. We'd be glad to direct you to more information about both of those things. So now, if you would, would you please give your attention to God's Word from Psalm 56. If you have your Bible, stand with me together as I read it for us. To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off tenebreaths, a mictum of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. This is the word of the Lord. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. On February 27th at 8.30 p.m., in pitch black darkness. Not long ago, Frank Bradish was in a Bradley vehicle in southern Iraq when all of a sudden a 50 caliber shell pierced through six inches of armor, came through into the Bradley vehicle and began ricocheting on the inside. Bradish opened the door and he fell out and immediately when he hit the ground, a 50 caliber, caliber bullet went through both of his thighs. 
I can't even imagine the size of that wound. In shock, he grabbed the nearest soldier with him who was also injured, and he pulled him into the Bradley. He went out, still injured, grabbed another man and drug him inside. And together, inside that Bradley armored vehicle, they held off enemies from multiple positions, multiple positions. By this time, there were multiple tanks. And these three men inside this Bradley armored vehicle fought off these multiple tanks for 20 minutes. It must have seemed like hours until this platoon arrived and rescued him. I want you to imagine with me if Bradish had gotten on his radio and said something like this. I've been wounded. We are ambushed. But I don't need help. The men who are with me, they're wounded too. We don't have much ammunition. We are between two tanks that could destroy us with one shot. But no, 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 stay there. I'm a well-trained soldier. This is what I was training for. I don't need your help. I mean, it would be hypocritical of me to ask for help. I mean, what if my platoon leader called me a wussy for asking for help? Like, what if I went back to the platoon and they laughed at me? In Psalm 56, David finds himself in the midst of an ambush, much like Frank Radish did on the night of February 27th. Except King David is not ambushed between two tanks in southern Iraq. He's ambushed on the one hand between King Saul, who wants him dead. He's been declared an enemy of the state. On the, on the other hand, King Achish of Gath, who he runs to trying to find safe haven, who also wants him dead. And David writes a very piercing psalm in Psalm 56. Please hear me. This psalm is about what you do when you're afraid. Fear does strange things to you. When I am afraid, the psalm says, I will trust in you and God whose word I praise and God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Fear does strange things to humanity. So I want to talk about fear today and I want us to do it in two headings. Number one, your rationale in your fear and your rescue from your fear, okay? Your rationale in your fear and your rescue from your fear. Let's think together about the nature of fear because the only antidote to fear is by trusting in God by boasting in His Word. The rationale of fear, first. Lower your eyes to the text and let's look at David's rationale amidst of him being afraid. Children, do you see that David was afraid? In 1 Samuel chapter 21, it tells the story where David is on the run from King Saul. King Saul knows that David has been chosen to be the king. Saul has conquered thousands, but David tens of thousands, they're singing. And so Saul, because he doesn't want his throne jeopardized, runs after David to kill him. And David, being declared an enemy of the state, runs He's an enemy of Israel, so wouldn't it make sense if I go to another enemy of Israel, maybe they'll take me in because the enemy of our enemy becomes our friend. And he is so desperate on the run from Saul that he runs to Gath. Gath was the hometown of one very giant person named Goliath. And in this hometown of Goliath, the man who he killed earlier, David finds himself 
up against the tank of Saul on one hand and King Achish on the other. And thinking that maybe Achish will have mercy on him. No, he realizes that Achish also wants him dead. And so David thinks very quickly on his feet. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning at verse 12. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. This is the context where he wrote the psalm. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands. And he made marks on the doors of the gate, and he let his spittle run down his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see that this man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David is absolutely desperate. He acts insane in order to save his life. Fear does funny things to humanity. Physicians will tell you, sociologists will tell you, psychologists will tell you that when you are afraid, it forces you to make very quick decisions because you're trying to preserve your life. You make very quick decisions. An author of a study recently looked at the most successful entrepreneurs on the West Coast. And when he looked at this group of men that were very, very highly successful, he said that they were different than other regular Johnny-come-lately entrepreneurs in one way. They had a, what he called, a productive paranoia. That is, that when they were afraid or when they were fearful, they didn't just run from their fears. They actually observed their fears. In some ways, they had a little obsession with their fears because they planned for what to do when their worst nightmare came. And they prepared their companies so that when these situations came, they would be ready. And inevitably, inevitably, these situations did come, and they were the ones who had their companies ready for the situations. Fear helps you make very quick decisions, doesn't it? That's not all that fear does. Fear simplifies those decisions. Physiologically, you have adrenaline and cortisol that run through your veins, and you're immediately in flight or fight mode, every one of us. But it simplifies your decisions. You're either going to fight or you're going to flee. Only two choices to make. Very, very simple. It also gives us clarity of thought. You know, when you're afraid, it kind of wipes the dust off the window so you can see clearly. It's a moment of clairvoyance. It's like when you're afraid, you see through all the noise and you're able to make decisions, simple decisions. And four, fears, this is the most important thing about fears. Fears reveal your hope. Have you ever wondered why you get afraid? They are God's ordained means of helping you understand your hopes. John Calvin said it like this. Fear and hope may seem opposite and incompatible affections. Yet it is proved by observation that the latter never comes into full sway unless there exists some measure of the former. In other words, you can't really have hope unless you're afraid. Otherwise, hope would never produce itself. In a tranquil state of mind, there is no scope for the exercise of hope. 
At such times it lies dormant, and its power is only displayed to advantage when we see it elevating the soul under dejection, calming its agitations, or soothing its distractions. In other words, when your three-year-old wakes up because he had a nightmare, what does he immediately do? He runs to you, and he tells you about his fear. Because he knows that when his soul is, as it were, under the soul's dejection, it gives him clarity of thought. It reveals his hope, which is in his mom or dad, to remind him that that was just a nightmare and it's not legitimate. But what, when, what happens when those nightmares actually are your reality? Like Frank Braddish between these tanks, or King David between these two competing nations. Or you when you recognize that you really are in financial straits. Or when you're about to graduate and you don't have a job. Or you hate your job. Or your marriage is going south. Or your children are running from Jesus. Or you're just apathetic to the whole thing. What is your rationale amidst a fear? Physiologically, when you're afraid, you have two responses. You either fight or you flee, fight or flight. But spiritually, you also have two responses that King David teaches us. You either are fiercely self-sufficient in that moment or you cry for help loudly it seems almost hard to believe that Frank Braddish would ever make a radio call like what I gave you earlier I don't need your help it'd be hypocritical of me to ask help and yet friends I know my heart well enough to be able to say with 100% confidence that is exactly what I do and I'm afraid I don't need help I'm a minister of the gospel I can handle this what if my church thinks I'm not strong? What about you? The Lord Jesus Christ has given us his word and his people to remind us that when you are afraid, you should cry for help and you should do so loudly. And David, when David was in Gath, he cried for help. He had a very simple decision to make. Do I rest in my own self-sufficiency or do I turn to the Lord and his word? And what does he do? When I'm afraid, I what? I trust. What do you trust in? Your talent? Look how talented I am. I trust in my performance. Look how successful I am. Look at my account. Well, look what a good father I am. Look at my children. We all do this constantly. And the Bible calls these things idolatries. They fuel our self-sufficiencies. When you're afraid, it gives you a moment of profound clarity to see what your real hope is. When I am afraid, I will trust. What is it that you trust in? David, King David, trusted in God. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? That is, when I say he trusted in God, David trusted in the promises of God given to him up until that point in time. That David had set him apart in front of his brothers and said, you are going to be my king. And from you, one day, someday, will be a king whose reign will have no end. 
David knew that he had been anointed before his brothers. He knew that he had been called out by God. They said the Holy Spirit rushed upon him when he was anointed. He knew God's promise. And yet in this moment of complete desperation, David, though he was acting insane, scratching on the gates, letting the spit run down his beard, acting like a rabid madman, he could write with such prescient, precious clarity, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? There's one other psalm in the Psalter that David wrote when he was in this situation. And whether he wrote them at the moment or reflecting back on it, we don't know, but they do speak to this time. Psalm 34 starts out, rabid David, scratching at the gate, acting completely insane, seemed from the outside like he was in total turmoil. Yet in the inside, he was crystal clear with what he thought. I will bless the Lord at all times. My praise, or his praise, shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This is the psalm that David wrote when he is insane in Gath. So the next time you hear a husband and wife at the altar say that, I want you to think of insane David with spittle running down his beard, scratching at the gate, completely insane on the outside, thinking with incredible clarity on the inside. Oh, come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This psalm teaches us about fear because it helps us understand our hopes. And it says very clearly, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in you whose word I praise. What does that mean? The word praise in Hebrew literally means to boast. That's what it means to praise someone. Whenever you go to a concert and you clap at the end of the concert, you're praising their talent. You're boasting. In their, you're incredible. You're amazing. You're boasting in their performance. To praise something just means to boast. And the word for Hebrew for boasting is the old word for a battle or a war cry. It's when you were be in battle and you would have all the men lined up. If you've seen Braveheart, you know what this is like. And you say, by the end of the day, we will have their king's head on the end of my spear. And all of the men go, rawr, rawr, Because how do, you, how do you get perfectly normal, grown men to rush with confidence into their sheer death? You give a ritual boast. It was a war cry. We will praise our strength and our valor before we go into war. By the end of the day, they may slay hundreds of us, but we will slay ten thousands of them. Let's go! And they all rush in. That's what it means to boast. And fears, friends, cause you to give war cries. And either those war cries come in your form of self-sufficiency, or they come in an unmitigated, unrelenting, utter dependence upon Jesus and his word. David gives three boasts. You see them in three cycles throughout this psalm. In verses 1 to 4, David boasts in God's grace. In verses 5 to 7, David boasts in God's justice. In verses 8 to 11, David boasts in God's mercy. To boast in the Lord, what does that mean? It seems so ephemeral. 
What does that mean? Like, how do you boast in the Lord? Brag about him? No, you think upon his attributes and you meditate on those. And you sink your mind into those so much so that whenever you're afraid, you immediately fall back into the Lord's grace, justice, mercy. That what he says in his word is indeed true about him. David, look at verse 1. says, be merciful to me, or be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. In verse 7, in their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down your, the peoples, O God. God's justice. In verse 8, you have count, kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your books? Then my enemies will turn back in a day when I call. This I know that God is for me. David trusts in God's grace. David trusts in God's justice. David trusts in God's mercy. Now hear me. When you read this text in Hebrew, it's like you read it in black and white and then it becomes color for you because David uses an analogy of the wine press all throughout this psalm. When he says in chapter, lower your eyes to the text and look at it with me. When he says in chapter one, oh God, for man tramples on me, literally it means to pant. He is so aggressive that he's panting for breath. All day long, my enemies trample on me. They attack me proudly. An oppressor attacks me. The word oppress when it says the attackers oppress me, it's literally what you would do to a wine press. When you put grapes, grapes, if you leave them alone and don't press them, they sour. So they would take the grapes, they put them in a wine press, and they would press on them. David is saying, it is like I'm a grape. I am a grape being pressed. The juice is flowing out of me. Then, and then David comes down in verse uh, 7 and 8. For their crime will they escape in wrath. Cast down the peoples, O God. And David, again, hangs on to this winepress language because he's thinking undoubtedly of the image of God himself trampling upon his enemies, much like Isaiah does many, many years later in Isaiah 63. When the Lord says, Who is this that comes from Eden in crimson garments from Bozrah? It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger. This is a vision of the Lord himself trotting down his people who are against him, his enemies. I trod them in my anger. I trampled, same word, them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all of my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. David, the one who thinks he's being pressed under the wine press, then thinks, oh Lord, would you trample on your enemies? And then, lower in the psalm, the image changes from the wine press to the wine skin. Because in the midst of David's fear, what does he think about? He thinks about how God is gracious to him. He gives him what he does not deserve. God is just that one day everything sad will come untrue and he will squash his enemies once and for all. And then in verses 8 to 11, David says, you have kept count of my tossings, of my wanderings. 
You put my tears in your wineskin. We say bottles because wineskin makes no sense to us today. A wineskin was the bottle for the ancient Near East. It was what they collected liquid in. So here's the image. When you feel like you're being pressed, when you feel like you're being crushed, King David says, oh, so long ago, that's when the Lord is collecting your tears. He's collecting them in his wineskin, though you feel like you're in the wine press. How do you boast in the Lord? You boast in the Lord by thinking about his attributes and believing that God is indeed gracious, that God is indeed just, that God is indeed merciful. And when you are afraid, you trust not in your own self-sufficiency, but we are, as God's people, able to run to him and cry for help. In your grace, save me. Have justice on my behalf. In your mercy, Lord, oh, show pardon to me. And where do we as Christians see this? The same place that David sees this. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in you whose word I praise. For David, that word was the promises of God given to him. But for us, that word is not only God's written word, but it is also God's living word, isn't it? And that's where we find our rescue from our fears. Because where is it that grace and justice and mercy meet? But at the cross, this psalm is called a psalm of meditation. And to meditate on something in Hebrew literally means to murmur to yourself, to talk to yourself. And David here is murmuring to himself, I trust in your grace, O Lord. I trust in your justice. If I die, I know you will have justice. I trust in your mercy. I do not deserve even a day of pleasure. Have mercy on me. And for us as Christians, when you read the Psalms, we must not just read this as a way to get out of our fear, as a way to just apply four steps, to have solace from what we are afraid of, but you read this Psalm in order to get away from your fears by reading it through the lens of your Savior, Jesus at the point in his life where grace and justice and mercy meet at the cross. When you read Psalm 56, you read this psalm as though Jesus were praying it. And if you read it that way, hear it. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. Do you hear him at the cross crying that out? When I am afraid, I will trust in you, Father, in you whose word I boast in, in you whose word I praise. I will not be afraid. What can humanity do to me? When Jesus was on the cross and he prayed this prayer, guess who it was that was trampling on him? You. Me. We trampled him, verse 1. We attacked him, verse 1. We oppressed him, verse 1. We bowed up to him and said proudly, no thanks, God, I can do it by myself, verse 2. We injured him. We beat him, verse 5. We grumbled and complained. Our thoughts are against him all day long, verse 5. 
We lurk. We wait for the time to attack. We have premeditated defiance. You know what this is like. I'll wait until she leaves before I have that drink. I'll wait until I'm alone before I look at that porn. We lurk and we wait for him. We watch, verse 6. We spy him out when we come to church and say, I don't need this. Jesus endured our jeers. He knows our fears. And he prays our tears. And he cries out for us so that when we cry, he hears us. He knows us. The only rescue from your fears is to boast in the attributes of Jesus. And to know that when you feel like you're in the wine press, know that he is collecting your tears in the wine skin. Isn't that a beautiful image? He knows those tears. Not one of them drops to the ground. It says, my favorite line in the psalm is in verse 9 where it says, this I know that God is for me. That Jesus is for you. He's cheering you on. You're his child. And when you are afraid, we do not run to our own self-sufficiency. We run to him. And we meditate on his attributes. We see them at the cross, crying out our cries, praying this prayer on behalf of us who are there crucifying him. And we hear Jesus saying, O Lord, forgive them so that they, though they trampled on me, you might not trample on them. And so who did the Father trample on? The Father trampled on Christ, his own son. And he turned his back on him so that you and I in our fears might have a way of escape. Otherwise, you'd be paralyzed by them forever. That's the essence of hell, by the way, being eternally paralyzed by our fears, getting what we want, giving in to them all for, and having no help, nowhere else to go. Having our way with our self-sufficient means for all eternity will create for you a living hell now, and it will be an actual hell in hell after we die. You want to talk about being afraid? Jesus knows what it means to be afraid. The only antidote to fear is trusting in God by boasting in his word. So boast in his word and grow humble. Boast in his word and grow smaller so that he grows larger. Boast in his word so that it so works its way from your head to your heart that your fears don't harden you, they don't force you into hiding, they actually soften you and they help you come into the light. Because when David trusted in the Lord, it motivated him for obedience, verse 12. It helped him to be more thankful, verse 12. It helped him, verse 13, to walk in the light of life. And we too walk in the light of life, King Jesus. When Frank Bradish was stuck between those tanks in southern Iraq on February 27th. His platoon eventually came and rescued him. But when Jesus hung on the cross for you and me, between the cries of the gallery of sinners in which you and I were part, the platoon of angels did not come and rescue him. He was crushed for you. 
And in his fear, he had hope. So that in your fears, you might know what it means to hope in something beyond yourself. And to cry out to you, here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Oh, Father, would you rescue me from my fears by showing me that you are indeed true to your word. As the old hymn says, I see the wrong that round me lies. I feel the guilt within. I hear with groan and travail cries. The world confess its sin. Yet in the maddening maze of things and tossed by storm and flood, to one fixed trust my spirit clings. I know that God is good. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and he chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Paul says, and in Galatians he says, may we never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When we are afraid, we can trust in him, in him whose word we praise, in him we trust. It's on every coin you have in your pocket. In God I trust. We do not need to be afraid. What can man do to me? I challenge you to commit that verse to memory. I challenge that every time on social media you feel left out, you feel made fun of, you feel like you don't measure up, you say that to yourself. What can mortal man do to me? In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. Because he sings over you his love. He's a mighty one to save. He rejoices over you with gladness, as we say. He quiets you by his love. And he exalts over you with loud singing. Let's do that together, looking at Jesus on the cross. Where grace, where justice, where mercy meet in the death of your Savior for you. So we might have hope in our fears. That's good news, friends. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, would you give us the reassurance of your hope in the midst of our fears that you are good, you are gracious, you are in control. Father, I pray that for those of us who feel like we're in the wine press, that you would help us to recognize that you collect our tears in your wine skin. Jesus, thank you that your tears were not collected so that ours might be. Jesus, thank you that you know what fear is so that when we are afraid, we can trust in you because you're faithful to bring to completion that which you started. You said it is finished, and in that is our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.